This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eherenownetwork.com forward slash David. We've been uh, conducting a 100-hour mindfulness meditation teacher training program at Samarasa, which was going to be in the flesh. Actually, uh, Katie and I would have been out in LA for a part, part of the time. And uh, so we switched to an online format and it's particularly great that even in that context we're able to pull kd into the um the uh, experience that we're sharing together so that we're about to start our second weekend of that program which is tomorrow and sunday but what we've been doing is every friday night before the weekends before the four weekends of the program we have uh, a, a, a workshop that's based loosely on my latest book, which is called Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck. So some of you know it. And the idea is to look at integrating, you know, creative expression, spiritual practice, and livelihood in a wholesome way. That's our our goal there. And Katie was kind enough to join me in New York when we had one of these gatherings. And uh, he and I are used to talking to each other. I have to say, we can go on for for, for um, as long as we need to, and maybe a little longer. Um, and 
the content of what we talk about ranges pretty widely. Uh, we'll probably loosely contain it to creativity and um, spirituality tonight, but not necessarily in that but order. But not necessarily in that order, or in any in any order. And one of the things I say about uh, KD is that he's, I think, my only friend who we can watch uh, an NFL game and or the Super Bowl and in the um, in the uh, commercials we talk about Bardo states and such. So we have this kind of ongoing um, array of different interests, which obviously include music from different eras, and that's we're going to talk about that some tonight. Uh, spiritual practice. <clears throat> and American culture. So, KD, welcome. It's so great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. We, great to be I, here. I wish you were here so I could give you a noogie. I can feel it. Don't worry. Okay. Um, so we're going to do some talking, and we'll, KD will we'll do some chanting. Usually we would play together. I, I play guitar with KD whenever possible, and um, uh, you can't have two people at the same time in this format uh, doing audio. So... Katie will do some um, kirtan, and you can you can sing along, and we'll do some talking. Then we're going to have some time for a Q and A from all of you. So, Katie, I wanted to start with you know I have sat on the stage with you for hundreds and hundreds of hours, and there are certain uh, themes that are in heavy rotation in your in your um, talking between the kirtans. So one of them is you've said that the mantra is the medicine and the music is the syrup. And I wanted to go a little deeper into that. We never really got all the way into that. I get the general idea of it, but could you say what you mean by that? <clears throat> well, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, uh, about music in general and what, what it's good for and can you be, uh, can music be a spiritual path, you know, or used as a spiritual practice. And of course, the the main thing with any practice is the intention, why why you're doing it, what you what you're bringing to it, what you what, what you what your motive is for doing the practice in the first place. Mostly, when we listen to music, to kind of forget ourselves and to dissolve ourselves into the sound or into the beauty of the music, and. Uh, That's actually, you know, that that's that makes music just like any other sensual input, like movies or TV or food or anything that we use to uh, satisfy our our sense cravings. But uh, you know, if music was enough by itself, just as music, then every musician would be not only enlightened but happy. So <laughs> we know that that's not true. So. When, when I say the music is the syrup and the name, the mantra, the mantras that I sing are usually what they call in India the names of God, the divine names or the names of that indwelling presence within us. And they say that these mantras or these names uh, come from within us already. They brought into this world, into the world of the uh, uh, sensual, sense input, including thoughts, uh, brought into this world by a being who's recognized reality through that practice and then brought that practice to people as a way for them to, you know, enter more deeply into their own hearts. So 
that's why I say music is the syrup. If a kid is sick and you, he, need, he or she needs to take medicine, you hide that medicine in something sweet. The sweetness of the syrup allows the medicine to be taken, but it's the medicine that cures the disease. And in this case, it's the mantras that are actually the medicine. So, KD, could you do the mantras without the music? In other words, just yeah, sure. your chanting. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but the music, music makes it easier to pay attention. You know, it, it uh -huh. pulls us, our, it pulls our attention. But one has to uh, cultivate awareness also. Can't fall asleep in the beauty of the music and just have a, have a you know, get off, have a, a semi-ecstatic temporal experience. Because what we want is something that really lasts, you know, so is real and doesn't come and go. Mm. And that is where these names come from, that place within us. So when you say those names, how many are there? Well, there's David. <laughs> but there's that's not... That's a, there are names, you know. Is that... Oh, okay. So you there's can... There's a, a million names. Any okay. name... On the other hand, these are specific names. They're called revealed names. Uh, whereas if you repeated, you know, Shri Frank, J Frank, J J Frank, I'm not sure what's going to happen to you. <laughs> you might get a headache or might all of a sudden yeah. you'll start meeting a lot of Franks in your life. Yeah. But well, uh, I would prefer to meet Ram, actually, or okay. Kali. So, uh, yeah. so these names have a special quality beyond... They do. They do have a special quality. Yeah, they're actually seeds. They're seeds that we plant in our mind stream, and just like any seed, a tiny little seed can have a huge oak tree in it. It has the potential in it, and these are the seeds that have the potential for awakeness. And do you have like a top ten of the names? Do you have a favorite one? Is there one that calls to you, like goes, this is really the one for you? How does that work? Uh, not really. You know, I'm a slut. I'll take it <laughs> any way I can get it. You're a deity slut? A deity slut, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, never mind. Long story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel a little bit like I'm a little bit of a KD scholar, you know, because I've been you know, been working together almost 20 years now. Do you know that? No. Yeah. Remember how we met? I do remember how we, how we met. I mean, I had seen you once before at uh -huh. the Tompkins Square Park. Right, right. Yeah. Until, yeah. You led a meditation, you know, and I said, oh, that's David Nickturn. But we didn't, we met actually at the, uh, when Mickey's movie, Mickey's here too tonight, I saw. Mickey is, yeah, he's on. Yeah, when Fierce Grace came out, we had that after party, after, um, gathering and uh, that's how we met that's when we met but so that's almost uh, 20 years and in that time we we played together a lot um i produced a bunch of your records uh we worked on a lot of music um and i got to know you as obviously as a kind of presenter in the landscape of spiritual practice in, in the west the kind of what i call the un of spiritual practice and but also as a musician, now here's the thing about KD as a musician, which is I'm sure everybody feels this or can sense it. He can, he can really, as we would say in the business, kill a kind of 
tr traditional rock and roll or pop song. Uh, and so I've had, I've had friends of mine from the music business come up and say, you know, that, that guy could have been one of the, uh, you know, Jackson Brown or a, a Bruce Springsteen, you know, and, um, and he will. The jobs were already taken. Yeah, well, there were other slots open for, for Jeffrey Cagle, but, um, at soundcheck, sometimes we do songs that are, you know, from, from that kind of repertoire and we do them with the harmonium and the tabla and guitars and stuff. And it sounds amazing. So I've been trying to get him to do what we call the soundcheck album for, for years, really, really long time and then we do those songs and then they drift into a mantra so they go yeah. on for a while after that <clears throat> so what i wanted to share and then i want to you know ask katie to kind of talk about it a little bit is i would classify you as a music aficionado of our era you know that you really know a lot about music you can sing those songs you know the words um you know the history you know who's singing what um so as a and you owned a record company for a while right i did yeah so you as a music guy you had a whole I just saw a Star Trek episode today where they're all in different parallel universes. And in a parallel universe, you could have been, you know, a contender. an A&R guy, a, a rock singer, or, you know, folk, a folk rock guy. And so the, well, path, the path not taken. So I just wanted to, like, it, you know, seed your well, comment. Definitely the path not taken. Yeah. You know, I, I guess most some of you might know that <clears throat> I when I was at school, College at Stony Brook, New York, uh, in my sophomore year, I think it was sophomore year, I met, uh, what was it, my third, my third year, which was actually my second semester, but that's a long story. Um, I met a couple of high school kids in the neighborhood that a friend of mine knew, and we started playing music together. Uh, but they were just getting to smoking dope and I was just getting out. So that didn't last too long. They later became the Blue Oyster Cult. And uh, uh, the first name of the band was the Soft White Underbelly. It was the 60s. And uh, I had just met Ram Dass and I was going to live with him for the summer at his father's place. And I moved out of my house in upstate New York. Now I was living upstate and I had my two dogs, my cat, all my worldly possessions in the car. And I drove down to Stony Brook for a Jimi Hendrix concert. And after the concert, the, the manager of the band came to me and they said, you know, the guy who replaced you, he can't sing in the studio. We have a whole record made. All we need is the vocals. Can you come back and cut the vocals? And we have a whole tour arranged. And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> There's no way I could do it because I had met Ramdas. And in my heart, I had met Maharaji, my guru. Everything paled before that. Everything paled. There was no possibility I was going to go that way. It wasn't even a decision. There was just no possibility. So, how about in uh, how about in the rearview mirror, Katie? Did you ever look back and go, hmm, with with or without Blue Oyster Cult? But I mean, was there any? Do you ever have dreams about being up on a stage singing those songs? What do you mean? I'm on the stage all the fucking time. No, but doing doing the other. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you I'm are. sitting. Well, well that's, that's an interesting point, difference. though. That's an interesting point. Well, that's I consider that that's what my guru did. Mm. He transformed my negative karmas into positive karmas. Mm. He transformed the very things that I wanted that would have killed me into things that I wanted that actually were good for me. 
and that that's the beauty of, of a siddha guru of a of a real guru what can, they can do that kind of thing so now i get everything i wanted from being a rock and roll star i can do it sitting down i don't have to jump up and down all night and it, it's completely absolutely wonderful for my life you know because i wouldn't have lived if i had gone that other way there's no question about it mm. it was close anyway but definitely wouldn't have made it the other way so when you're home do you listen to what kind of music do you listen to when you're home or on the road listen, in a i car don't listen a whole lot i listen to no. a lot of tibetan stuff a lot of mantras uh, -huh. uh what else well who might be some know. of your favorite every once in a while not not so much i don't listen i when i when there's no input coming in it's so relaxing mm. i mean because before this little situation i'm on the road for the last 25 years so now i'm just sitting at home it's quiet and uh it's 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 a joy for me you know, that's a funny thing, then to shoot off to the side a little bit. Quite a few people I've spoken to lately, I'm out at my house on Long Island. I've been here for two months. I haven't touched another human being. I'm, I've been here completely isolated for two months, but I'm very actively teaching several programs. So I have people in little boxes come to visit, you know, very regularly. Um, but quite a few people I'm talking to are, in some level, of course, the situation is very challenging, very difficult, and kind of horrific in some ways, are like you really enjoying the space uh, and, and almost like the retreat quality of it. It wasn't like I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. I really love touring. I love singing with people. It's, it's the best thing I do in my life as far as I'm concerned. But I'm experiencing now how much... Uh, dust the mirror of my heart is picked up being on the road meeting so many people all the time and not having a lot of time to just relax again into myself so this forced retreat has been uh really wonderful mm. so, i mean even with all the anxiety and all this stuff in the atmosphere it's still been a very wonderful opportunity for me yeah i find quite a few people are saying that it's kind of an intriguing aspect of this whole situation. But we've been um, trying to, uh, with our, you know, we've been doing Dharma gatherings online for a variety of classes and stuff. I'm trying to do Tonglen practice before we get into other practices, just to reconnect and remember that there's a lot of people suffering right now. Just to somehow let some of that in, um, that energy in. But many people are are having a similar that I, that I know, that we know, are having a similar experience of quiet and stillness and, um, you know, getting to catch up with themselves in a certain way. Yeah. So I actually, I yeah. another year or two and my room might be clean. Yeah, because you're not exactly like Zen guy, are you? It all depends how you look at it. <laughs> you're like the old school Chinese Zen, you know. The, yeah, um, but... Yeah. Um, if you can see which way the underwear falls, you can, you can appreciate his teaching. Oh, this is a koan, is it not? Which, which way does the underwear fall, grasshopper? Oh, yeah, very much, yeah. Okay. So um, uh, maybe if you're up for it, we could intersperse a little chanting and talk, chant a little bit. You, you, you're in the mood? You're the boss. It's your class, whatever you want yeah. me to do. I feel like we could just 
segue into that. Everybody could just sort of settle into some some of that for a minute, you know? Okay. Yeah. As and as you wish, you know. <clears throat> you know, one thing you just said struck me. You know, you talked about Tonglen, but in my tradition, uh, the practices. Uh, you see. When we, when we talk about the divine name or the names of God, one has to understand that that is the name of, of, the, of the, the inner presence that lives in every being, exactly the same. Uh, and in the, India, they call it soul. But it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, something that's separately, separate, permanently separate. So but they call that awareness. That awareness is the same in every being. So when you chant these names, you're invoking the place in, in yourself. We're invoking the same place in ourselves that is that place in every being in the universe. So with that, with, that's how I bring the, the, uh, the, the, the compassion or the loving kindness out you know, mm. into the practice. Mm. It's built in is what you're saying. Yes, it's definitely built in. Even if yeah. you're not aware of it, you know, uh, a lot of in, in this in my traditions, we don't talk about that as much in terms of practical techniques. Mm -hmm. It's basically, you know, when you get the hit, it will be for every all inclusive. So, uh, so I'm gonna sing. Uh, what am I gonna sing? I'll sing some mantra. But I'm going to first sing a prayer that um, <clears throat> was taught to me by Bernie Glassman. Uh, Roshi Bernie Glassman was one of my dearest friends. And uh, one day I got an email from him with eight lines of this prayer. And he says, uh, it said, could you do something with this? So I wrote to him, like what? And he wrote back, he said, well, we Buddhists aren't that good with melody. Maybe you could come up with a melody for this prayer, and then we could use it at the Zen peacemaker gatherings. And he explained that this, these lines were from a prayer called the Kondron Mon. Can I, did I say that right? Anyway, which means the gates of sweet nectar. And the idea being that through this offering, one enters into the gates, through the gates of sweet nectar, all beings, where all beings are interconnected and uh, interdependent and part of one, oneness. So anyhow, so I carried those eight lines around the world with me for about a year. He said the next gathering was 11 months later. So I said, okay, good. I carried them around with me. I look at them, they look at me. Nothing was happening. So I wrote them. I said, Bernie, can I mess with the words a little? I got a one-line email back, mess. So I rearranged the words, and a melody came. And uh, so I'll sing that for you. And then we'll sing a little Sri Ram Jada, J.J. Ram. Calling up to hungry hearts Everywhere through endless time You who wander, you who thirst 
I offer you this boating mind Calling not to hungry spirits Everywhere through endless time Calling not to hungry hearts All the lost and the left behind Gather round and share this meal Your joy and your sorrow I make it mine Calling out to hungry hearts Everywhere through endless time You who wander you who thirst, I offer you this heart of mine, calling not to hungry spirits everywhere through endless time, calling not to hungry hearts, all the lost and the left behind. Gather around and share this meal Your joy and your sorrow I make it mine Shri Ram Jai Ram Shri Ram Jai Ram Jai Ram Jai Ram Ram Jai Ram Jai Ram Shri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram Jai Ram Jai Ram
That's an interesting hybrid. Yeah, yeah. That that is a hybrid of the <clears throat> the Buddhist tradition and the bhakti tradition. And what's so interesting, KD, you know about our world. I've been thinking about it a lot because I've been staying in touch. Danny Goldman came on this afternoon. We had the science of meditation. He sat in, kind of, uh -huh. so to speak. And I spoke to Marcella and Alberto earlier. And, uh, you know, we have friends all over the world who are doing, you know, different kinds of spiritual practice from all over the world. <clears throat> and they're all well, coming together. Danny yeah. and I went to India together. First he, time. He, he said that. And, he, you know, he, he was talking about his background and that Neem Karoli Baba was um, one of the first serious spiritual influences on him. Sure. So we've been, and, you know, and then we, Bumped into each other probably in the 70s, but didn't know it. It was like split screen, mm. you know, like parallel universes. So uh, you, were at, you were at Naropa Institute that year that Ramdas was there, right? Sure. Yeah. And, um, and then also we swapped, you know, I'm, um, I'm a, a Buddhist guy hanging out in the, in the, in the bhakti world playing, and, and you come to a lot of the Buddhist uh, teachings, and you have a lot of, uh, um, you know, you have a lot of, 
you know, a Buddhist influence in your in, in your teaching stream. So it's kind of all these things have blended together in interesting ways, but it's still interesting to kind of delineate some of the, uh, especially for newer people coming in, just what the different traditions are. So they have some clarity about the different traditions. Don't, don't wish it all together. So I thought we could talk a little bit about the guru aspect, because that's a really interesting topic when you speak with people from a Hindu tradition and a Buddhist tradition. Um, in, and, and just to frame this, with our group, you know, our teacher training group, and we'll, re, we'll be reviewing it tomorrow, we talked about the three yanas of the, the way Tibetan Buddhism is structured. is said that, that there's three different levels of teachers. They're not, not every teacher is the same kind of presentation. And, um, you know, at, at the sort of Hinayana level that the teacher is a preceptor or an elder, the Mahayana level is they're a spiritual friend or a mentor. And only in Tantra, and Buddhist Tantra, is they even use the word guru. Um, so then Tantric Buddhism and Hinduism have more in common in some ways than Tantric Buddhism does with Hinayana Buddhism. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, so we, we share probably, you know, a primary relationship with our teacher as a kind of source of um, pith, core essence of what we're doing in our lives. And... That's not necessarily the case in the lower yanas. You know, a teacher could could just be somebody who knows a little bit and can kind of show you the way. So, what I wanted to ask you tonight was: Is there an equivalent in your tradition of of a teacher further down the road who could be just an elder or a mentor, or a spiritual friend? Is 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 that part of the tradition too? You mean in in what what context? You mean in like? Well, for example, like Maharaji is your guru, right? Yeah, and many of the people coming along now, they have, they have never met him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still possible. They connect with him as the guru energy and the guru uh, principle, but they can't go ask him what, whether they should, you know, uh, change their job or go marry this one or that one, or, you know, um, they could ask you. God forbid. <laughs> No, there's worse counselors on the planet. There are worse counselors, you know. So you 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 uh, spend time with people, and you're you know you're a spiritual friend. I would say, isn't that? Don't you think so? That's for you to say, and me to me to suffer with. I have no. Idea. <laughs> well, you always disclaim it. I know it's a nice it's a nice disclaimer. It's like that box of raisin bran. It says you know there's no no gluten in it or whatever. It says disclaimer. Um, and you always say you're not a teacher, but um, you are a mentor to a lot of people, Katie. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it and make you all uptight or whatever, but. Oh, I, it's okay. It goes through like Chinese food. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can you even get Chinese food now? Uh, no. <laughs> That's why I, never mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> we've been doing this stuff for a long time. Yeah. And you just, it rubs off on you, you know, I mean, yeah. you're just around these teachings, you're around these incredible beings, you're, you read these books. I mean, there's so much that you just absorb that comes in under the radar. And then the practice is, I, I always see it as a ripening practice. I really don't consider that I've ever been able to learn anything in terms of philosophy or understanding how things work 
I can barely tell Brahma from Vishnu or Shiva, I tell you. And I've been in India my whole fucking life. <laughs> but, but, but there's a ripening that goes on underneath the radar. And what changes is the way you live in your own being. But you don't, you don't get to uh, do a trip about that. You don't get to do a, it because it's the evaluator, the judgmental mind that's thinning out and, and going away. So you don't spend so much time in negative states of mind. Uh, and uh, so as a result, you, you're not quite as reactive as you, you, you were in the past and you're more present. You mean just as a result of chanting, doing the practice, chanting? Well, it's not just the chanting, it's, it's the way you see yourself. In other words, uh, you know, you talked about the guru, so there's two ways to go, you know. One is the, is the path of wisdom, uh, the path of understanding, and the path of uh, that you're going to do this. You're doing this, and these are your techniques, and this is your practice. The other way is the path of, you could say, devotion or uh, surrender. Mm. So... My job is to let go. My job is not to understand. I don't care if I understand or not. I want to be able to continually let go of whatever uh, limitations I might feel, whatever negative emotions might be pushing me around. And at the same time, I, you, you start to be even let go of thinking about yourself as the doer. Mm. Uh, that's a different aspect of practice than this other way. Um, of course, everything leads to the same place, but it's a question of how you go through your day. So, but, you know, so one, one day, I, uh, Maharaji grabbed my book, my notebook, where I wrote down all these prayers and spiritual stuff, you know, and he was going through it. He went through it, and he stopped at this one page, and he says, what's this? And I looked at it. I went, oh, shit. It was the song of Mahamudra, right? <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. This is, you know, I'm in my Guru's Hanuman temple. What am I going to do? There it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said, oh, it's Buddhist, you know. <laughs> so he said, translate some. So uh -huh. the India, there was an Indian guy there, and he translated a few verses. Maharaj goes, Peak, correct, very good. And I went, what, really? <laughs> he kept going through the book. He came across a little picture of him that I had between the pages of the book. He says, yeah, who's, who's this? I said, Maharaji, it's you. Nay, Buddha. <laughs> so, so many of us who were with him have done so much Buddhist practice over the years. It's amazing, really. Well, and we're in this very active dialogue, like some of you have been to the Maui retreats, which... Uh, unfortunately, yeah. we would have had the first one post Ramdas, and that it uh, got probably postponed for quite a while. Who knows how long? But we'll see. Yeah. But we before that we were going there. How long had you been going there? Like about fifteen years, twelve years, something like that. 
No, not so long. No, 10? Final offer. Well, maybe uh, maybe close to 10 years. There were some smaller ones first, and then we moved yeah. over to the bigger place. Yeah. And and there was always, you know, you uh, doing yours, Ramdas teaching his way. And then they would always invite uh, Buddhist teachers like Joan Halifax and uh, Jack Cornfield. And Bob it was Thurman. Bob Thurman, um, Sharon Salzberg. Sure. And and it, it was so. I mean, one of the things I, I, I'm gonna cry if I think about this because uh, we're you know we're not gonna get to go there uh, right now. So that's something I look forward to every single year. And we were going twice a year, but it's a very peaceful, very harmonious group. I mean, a bunch of old crotchety people in the begin in the first place. But considering that, but you know, when a you're crotchety lot, together, it's kind of yeah, group crotchet. You know, group Davy, Davy crotchet. Yeah. So. Um, you know, there was a certain feeling of like living in a world in a way you thought this is really what it's supposed to be like. People have different points of view and whatever. And, you, you know, you you talk about it and you pr practice and then uh, everybody comes together. So I think we have to, you know, somehow figure out how to carry that. We have to somehow yeah, carry that we'll on, see. I think. Yeah, that, that umbrella. We'll see. Um, yeah. So the guru um, is... You know, maybe maybe if you could say for people who don't, let's say, un know about that form, what that is, even like a, a real a guru, yeah, is different than a teacher, is okay. different than than just about anything you can imagine. Because a real guru doesn't want anything; only exists for one reason, which is out of compassion for those of us who don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, they don't manipulate. They don't need you. They don't. The real gurus don't even need to see you physically. If you do happen to see meet your guru in the body, it's because you needed that at that time. If you don't need it, you don't. It doesn't happen because it's not the best thing for you. Uh, the guru, the real guru, and, and you know, even in Tibetan practice, the first, the first thing you do in order to qualify for the so-called higher teachings, you have to merge your mind with the mind of the guru, the heart, the, with the heart of the guru. It has to be a merging. And through that merging, you finally point in the right direction. You're, you're pointed in the right direction. And from that point on, other teachings can come to you. But without merging the mind and heart with the mind and heart of the guru, uh, we really are not alive yet, actually. We're not awake. Our hearts aren't really moving in the right direction. So if you had to give a definition of the word, because it's not, you know, an English word, how, how and you were trying to explain it to, let's say, somebody who didn't really have background to understand the concept, is there another word you would use? Are there other words you would use to kind of communicate what it is? You know, all I can say is that, you know, the fantasy, well, you know how we imagine what it'll be like when we fall in love forever mm -hmm. and we'll always be in that love and it'll always feel just the way we want it to feel. That's the guru. That's the guru. And because that love is what lives within us as who we are. And the guru can clean, help us clean the mirror of our hearts so that 
that love is reflected accurately and fully. And we don't just see the dust on the mirror. It is sometimes the process of cleaning the dust on the mirror of the heart uh, other than sublime? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been in, I was in India for two and a half years with Maharaji. He kept me there. He allowed me to stay. He sent me to his devotee, who was the chief of police, who stamped my passport, gave me a year visa. Otherwise, I would have been sent home way early. And then one day he looks at me and said, you go back to America. You have attachment there. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I said, Baba, I'm just learning Hindi. Too bad. Ciao. You go. And that was, his that was it. And no negotiation. Absolutely no negotiation. Although, in retrospect. Yeah. Huh. In retrospect. You know, he used to say, he used to send us away a lot. You know, he used to say, go away is my mantra. And so we would go. And then, but there was one guy who used to go. He would leave the temple. And then he would wait until everybody dispersed. Then he'd run back in the temple and Maharaja would let him stay. Uh -huh. <laughs> so in retrospect, I could have come to America, said hello to my parents and gone right back. Uh -huh. But I didn't because what he said was true. Uh -huh. I had attachment. In America, what, I had... What were you attached to? What wasn't I attached to? You know? That's what I said. What weren't you attached to? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had dreams and desires uh, uh, and fantasies uh, and things I wanted to do. And when I left for India, I, I gave everything away. I sold everything I had because I was never coming back wow. because I hated myself, my American self. I, I loathed myself. I had so much self-hatred and self-loathing that I couldn't imagine staying here if I didn't have to. So my fantasy was going to, America, to India forever. So he sent me back to uh, work on all that stuff. And that was painful. Very painful. Oh. Did you ever blame him for it? Like, why did you send me back here or did you get it? You understood? No, I didn't blame him. Yeah. How do you blame somebody who's, you know, who, who's, who's, who's the love you want to be? <laughs> you know? Oh, there's a song. Yeah. How do you blame somebody who's the love you want to be? I think it's the B side to, I can't tell, um, what was, what did you say? I can't tell Brahma from Vishnu, but <laughs> what was the second half of that? Um, I don't know what. It had a fuck in it. I don't know what the fuck was going on or something like that. Does anybody remember? Nobody. We'll, we'll, we'll watch the replay later. Okay, we have it on the recording. Yeah, so so there is, you know, would you call that purification? What would you call that? that yeah, that, sure. You yeah. Know, mm -hmm. He wasn't, this was, you know, this was not a teacher. Right. This was what they call a siddha, someone mm -hmm. who just changed you. He didn't ask your permission. Mm. He didn't need to because he lives inside of you as who you really are. And so looking out from within you, he can say, okay, you need a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. And then he just changes your life. That That's what happens for you. You get to, to work out the very things that are preventing you 
from knowing who you really are. So uh, I suppose this is a little esoteric, but you know, this is this is the way you look at it on the path of surrender. Yeah. Well, so that would include COVID nineteen. That would include Ramdas's stroke. Absolutely. You know, Ramdas used to say, as Mickey will attest to, that Maharaji stroked him. Mm. That Maharaji gave him the stroke as a teaching. Mm. He used to say that, and he believed that. Yeah. But when he finally went back to India for the first and only time after the stroke and met Siddhima, who was an incredible saint in her own right and Maharaji's great devotee, she said, Ramdas, that's not correct. Maharaji would never give you a stroke. The stroke was your karma. Huh. The, the grace that Maharaji gives you is that you were able to use that and able to overcome that stroke and and you know purify your heart even with that kind of practice you have to do in that intense situation. So the devotion actually is part of a process of accelerating your karma. Absolutely. Yeah. So on that note, I you know we can. There's a couple, one other main topic I want to get into, but why don't we throw it open uh, to to the group uh, if if you have any questions for both either of us. Um, and uh, maybe Lucy, could you just pick pick somebody? And um, if you like, you can just come on and read read their own question, you know, so that we see who they are. So please just jump in. If you have a question, comment. Maybe that wasn't clear. Just turn on your mic and start talking and go for it. Michael. Yeah, I have a question. I've thought a lot about this and wondered about um, the connections or differences between Hinduism and Buddhism, and if they're even relevant or significant to the two of you. Yeah. So, and just that—that's maybe everybody can say who they are too first. But that's Michael Chipman, who who works at uh, Samarasa, but is a wonderful singer. Katie, just to put that in context, and he's he's one of the meditation teachers. It was trained, so, but he's really got a beautiful voice. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, yeah. So what was the question again? Repeat it. Hinduism and Buddhism, similarities, differences. Right, Michael, is that right? Yeah, the, the differences, similarities, and are they are they significant or important? Or, because the, the more that I read uh, spiritual teachings from all these traditions, they all seem very similar seem to be coming towards the same ideas of connection and compassion and um, that we're all one, we're all part of the same energy. And I just wonder what the two of you coming to what you do from two different traditions, how you see those connecting or not. <laughs> well, uh, Maharaji used to go like this. You know, and we and like this. So we always wondered what we were getting busted for, you know, something we had done because he knew everything, something we had done, something we were going to do or something we're thinking about doing, you know. So we said, Maharaji, what does that mean when you do that? And he went. <laughs> OK, what does that mean? That many names, many forms, all one. All one. Many paths, all one. 
So that made it easy for me, you know, I, that means I didn't have to worry about whether this one fit intellectually or not, whether this puzzle fit together perfectly or not. If I was attracted to some teaching, I would just go for it. And it didn't have to make sense necessarily on the intellectual level. Because I, I felt that from what he said, that everything, you know, fed into that oneness or that one of which we're all a part. Uh, the big thing about the biggest difference, they say, you know, they asked Buddha, uh, you know, uh, is there a, you know, a God? He, he didn't say anything. It's not that he said no. He was silent. They, and there were certain questions that he was asked that he did not answer. And it wasn't that there were negative answers. They just, he would not answer for whatever reason. And, uh, one of the big issues is the idea of no self, anatma in Buddhism. But I feel, and I could be wrong, that this is really just a question of how you define self. Because even from the Hindu side, the so-called Hindu side, you would, it would be very hard to find a real guru who believed that there was anything that was permanently always separate from everything else, including the soul, so to speak, or the self, capital S self. So even that, it's just, it's like a station on the way. It's not the final reality, it's relative reality. Pretty high up relative reality, but still relative. And so uh, what Buddha was what his teachings came out of uh, in the culture of the time, they were very um, revolutionary because at that time, the Brahmins or the priestly class were controlling everything. And you couldn't, the belief was you couldn't uh, find liberation unless you got, you know, you paid the Brahmins money to do pujas for you and prayers. So he was, re he was leading a revolution against that. So he was trying to give people back their, their power and take it away from the priestly class. So, Which is uh, what Jesus did too, right, Katie? That's really what the Jesus Lord. did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you talk about this. I just looked back, you know, Katie and I text each other pretty, pretty, pretty regularly, and it can range, as I said, in topics. So I just thought, well, what, what, what have we sent back and forth in the last week? And he sent me a video of uh, Morhe. Uyeshipa, who's the founder of Aikido. Okay. And then he sent me um, this video, which is an African uh, guitar player. And then he sent me this picture, which is the 16th Karmapa, Buddhist, one of the greatest Buddhist masters of the 20th century. And then he sent me this picture, which is Mingyur Rinpoche, who we've been talking about this afternoon. He's the wonderful Tibetan Lama um, who went on a three-year retreat by leaving four. his monastery behind, four years, and uh, wandered throughout yeah. India and other places, and who's very actively teaching now. And then, and this is where, Michael, this is one I'm really thinking of for you. This is one of the, the head of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism named Ujjum Rinpoche. So these are all, we call them the blues masters. You know, they were there like 
you can't duplicate this. It's Muddy Waters. It's Junior Wells. You know, it's the people. You can't make this. You cannot recreate the causes and conditions that caused these people to to manifest the way they did. Um, yeah. We carry on, but they had they had some. And then he said, "Well, wait a minute. Look at look at the uh, insignia here." And Michael, I'm thinking of this with you in terms of what's the difference or similarity of this. And it says this. This is Dujan Rinpoche's picture. Dujan Rinpoche's picture. And he says, look at this photo. Then look at your mind. Look at the one who is looking. If you see this, you are the excellent one. It doesn't say Buddhist anywhere in it. So this is uh, a lot of a lot of these uh, schools did overlap. Um, they all have esoteric and exoteric. You know, they have the rituals, the outer form, and they have the inner form, and they have what's called the outer, inner, and then secret aspect. Um, so a lot of it's karmic. You know what you resonate with. It's amazing. Even within Buddhism, some people gravitate towards. Theravadan Buddhism, insight, meditation. Some people love the tantric stuff. Some people just love the Mahayana, the oozing Bodhisattva heart. Um, and, you know, so I think there's, it's good that we're clear about what we're doing if we have a precise practice. Like there's very precise practices that, that KD's community, they do the Hanuman Chalisa. Everybody does that a fair amount. It has a certain uh, to me, that has a. I resonate with that practice a lot because it has a kind of warrior quality to it, and, you know, and a Buddhist flavor to, me, to it. To me, there's um, there's a sadhana practice that I do that has Ganesh in there, you know, which is a Hindu deity. A lot of the Buddhist deities were sort of taken from Hindu deities. We borrowed Garuda, we borrowed Ganesh, um, you know. So um, Hanuman's in the Kala Chakra. Yeah. So there's a lot of crossover, but. <clears throat> At the same time, when you are following a tradition, I believe you should have some real deep knowledge of that tradition that you're doing. So that it does, you're digging a well, but it doesn't mean that the other wells aren't as deep. Um, but if you dig a lot of little wells, we say, you know, just you keep trying this and trying that. Maybe it's you just keep refashioning the world after your own image in a way. Maybe the water's it. only an inch deep. <laughs> well, didn't you try to drown in, what was that story? <laughs> You tried to drown in an inch deep water? Never mind. Okay. All right. Uh, anybody else? I got a yeah. question here. Parker Simon. Um, as a, I've been a touring musician for years and uh, more recently been working as a production manager on the venue side of things. And uh, I'm curious how uh, really both of you deal with um, just kind of the handling of money, uh, settlement, and how you do that on a physical level. Uh, and the spiritual level too, and how that uh, mingles. Cause I've been on all sides of those deals where it's, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just curious about that. It's uh, sure. You know, it it feels a lot, a lot of times it feels smooth. Sometimes it feels kind of dirty. And uh, it takes money for playing. You mean uh, in certain situations, maybe, or if you feel like you're not getting what you deserve, ah. it can bring up uh, really intense emotions and can ruin relationships. And uh um, yeah, I'm just curious. Well, Parker, first of all, you definitely need to read the book. I would, I it's will. It's all about that. It. It's all about, well, wait a minute. Is that part of the world somehow separate from the other parts? I, in my world there, it's the same principles continue to apply, which is integrity, skills that you need, you know, in particular areas. But I, I, and I've, I've talked to Katie about this the last time we talked in New York. Um, Katie runs a very clean and good business. 
And it's, you know, it would, it would be funny if like we got up there and went like, it's all one, it's all one. It's like, Oh, I forgot that, you know, you get, you check out of the hotel room and you go like, uh, and they, their credit card bounced or something like that, but it's all one use his credit card, you know? <laughs> so they do practice and the Ramdas retreats, they have integrity about that aspect of the world. So you don't get into any trouble at all about it. Um, you know, it's clean. It's, um, you know, people are respected for their time and effort. There are a lot of volunteers, but they're there because they, they're doing seva. They're, they want to participate in some way. So, yeah, for me, just to short circuit that, um, yeah, business is fine. It's just um, greed that's not great. And cheating's not good and lying's not good. But business is fine. And in fact, people should be good at business. And if they're doing it, why not be good at it? So, KD, you want to say anything about that part? Uh, well, as far as money, yeah, money. It, it, it slips through my fingers so fast I can't even, you know. But, uh, you know, I was struck by what you said, you know, as a touring musician, you know, the feelings you uh, expressed to us. If you took your life as your teaching, then when those feelings of of unjust rewards to yourself and not getting enough of this, if you took your life as your teaching or as your guru, then you would be able to work with those feelings more successfully and more usefully. But because you feel a victim and you feel uh, entitled to that victimization, you know, you keep doing it to yourself. So that brings a lot of negativity and a lot of tension, a lot of anger, all that stuff. It's not really coming from the situation in the moment. You're bringing it to the moment. And you're allowing yourself to be hurt by that. And uh, really, whereas really, you could turn it around and put, oh, wow, you know, how wonderful these bastards are who are ripping me off. They show me what, a, what an asshole I am, you know, how thank you, you know. But to really feel that, it's, it's intense, you know. So, but the, so like David said, you know, the light has, it's everywhere, you know. You, you have to allow it to come in, which means you have to look at yourself. And uh, as far as the way we do it, you know, we've never, until very recently, when uh, we never have contracts, we never uh, ask for uh, advances or anything like that. We always share the gate. And because I feel if people don't come, why should the organizer suffer? Right. And the other thing, because of the nature of what I do and the way it happened, we do, it's all by invitation. You know, for me, I, I could play, I could sing three times a day in a different place for the rest of my life, you know, because of the invitations, because that first CD I made went viral all around the world. So because it's invitation, we're invited to come, we go, we split the proceeds in a way that, that works for everybody. Uh, only been ripped off twice in 25 years, you know. Both of those people are still alive, but uh, yeah. So I figure it's not a bad, uh, bad record, you know. Maybe we could have a couple more questions and then do one more care time. Yeah, we have Teresa, who's one of our teacher trainees. Hi there. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Hi. Um, hi, Katie. Um, I've seen you several times, and I love your music and. You've really um, 
brought me through the past 10 years of my life being a yoga teacher and um, inspired me in many ways. Um, but I have a question for you tonight. Um, the blanket in the background, was that perhaps your guru's blanket? What blanket? The one that's folded on the wall. <laughs> that one, yeah. This blanket? Yeah, yeah. what's the story with that one? In 1972, in 1972, I, I had a few rupees in my pocket for some reason in India, and I was in Delhi and I brought Maharaji a blanket. And uh, I had a dream that he wore it in the temple and I saw him coming around the corner wearing this blanket. So then I found that color blanket in Delhi and I brought it to him. And sure enough, a couple of days later, he was walking around the corner in the temple and I was standing there and he was wearing that blanket. And then that was that. I didn't know, uh, you know, last, uh, was it last uh, September, we were in Greece and I went to visit a very old friend of mine who was with me with Maharaji. Uh, on one of the Greek islands, spent a few days with her. And as I was leaving, she, she asked me to come into her room and she opened the closet. She reached in and she pulled out the blanket that I gave to Maharaji in 1972 and she gave it to me. And that's that blanket. Wow. Yeah. That, that is an amazing story. So um, can I have a part two of my question? I'm of course. Sorry. Yeah, sure. Uh, did I unmute? Uh, You're good. We hear you, Teresa. Okay. Can I, is there a part two to my question I can ask? Of course. Um, are there other incarnations of Maharaji out there? Um, <laughs> you're getting into deep water here. Uh, I'm not sure that. How to put this? It, it's very probable that uh, the body that we saw burnt after he supposedly left it wasn't his only body in the first place. So that's one answer. Uh, you know, we live in this world, right? And we think it's real. But you know how when you wake up, you realize, oh, that was a dream, you know? So these beings that we call saints or bodhisattvas, they aren't, they, they're awake and they know this is a dream, this world. And just, have you heard of conscious dreaming? It's a technique you can develop. Well, they're doing that all the time. And they enter into this dream in as many bodies as they want to, in any form that they want to, out of compassion for us. So I'm not convinced that that body that was burnt was real in any way whatsoever. However, I, I don't personally have experience of that. This is called the crazy side. So... Uh, it's very possible that he's living somewhere else and just doesn't want us to see him this time. Just like he wanted us to see him last time. Who knows? It's up to him. All I can do is surrender. 
and get a little pissed off that I can't see him. Thank you. Sure. Hello, uh, my brothers. Um, my my next in the questions. Go ahead, Tom. You're good. Thank you, David. David, we met actually about 10 years ago in Barrington, Rhode Island, um, at Edit Mello's studio, Freedom Yoga. Uh, we had dinner that night as well. Uh, and Christian Das been listening to you since that same time frame. Uh, thank you both. This is a great experience for me to be here with you both. Um, it's hard to find one question to ask you both, right? But uh, so I was thinking I'd ask you the question that David asked um, Clancy on Midnight Gospel that I just found today. Shout out to David on that. That was good. Um, so how do you know if you're enlightened? How does one know that? What do you feel? Uh, you, when you put your pants on, they're in the right direction. <laughs> KD, sure. sir. KD and Tom, yes, my sir. friend Stanley out in Los Angeles, who's a screenwriter. It, one one time, um, you know, there's a very famous um, Buddhist story about what you're asking, which is that Buddha touched the ground, and the earth shook. They asked him, how do you know you're enlightened? And, and it's called the Earth Witness Mudra. So you see a lot of Buddha statues with the right, one of the hands touching the earth. So how do you confirm your enlightenment? And he said, this solid earth is my witness. And um, the earth shook. And so, you know, there's a metaphor to that, which is he's really grounded. He's stable. He's, you know, he's not um, vibrating all over the place. He's, you know, in touch with, he's joining heaven and earth, as, as we say about it. But then, so my friend Stanley, I said, one night we're up, we, he, Stanley stays up till four in the morning every night. And you have to kind of um, just, I like take a nap between like 1130 and 1230. And then I have to hang with him till four if I'm staying at their house. And one time we were just saying, he said, I, I'm definitely not enlightened. <laughs> and I said, well, Stanley, how do you actually know you're not enlightened? And he said, this solid earth is my witness. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it works. It, 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 what's that song? It, it cuts both ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's more of a, not something you achieve and you just achieve it. It's, it's the in and out of it, you know, you, you have it, maybe then you don't have it. Or if you have it, you always have it. Well, that's such a complex question, you know, from, yeah. you know, we, we spent a whole weekend couple of weeks ago with this group of people and sort of threading that particular needle. But, you know, you could also say there are stages of realizations, particularly in Buddhism. It's not, it's not like, uh, there's something called Samyak Sambuddha, which is total final, like, uh, you know, complete total realization. But along the way, you know, there's a lot of, lot of stages. There's the Bodhisattva path. There's the Arhat, you know, you know, when you say realizing, there's something you're realizing and something you're stabilizing and something then you begin to manifest. So it's pretty rare that somebody has, you know, in the path, the non-returning path kind of. And then even then the person comes back as a bodhisattva. Even then they might have little refinements they're working on. Um, so I think, you know, for me, it's, I don't want to say it's a moot point because um, when you do meet, like uh, Katie sent me a film of, of Karmapa 16. Uh, along in that text and 
you see him getting up on the throne doing the black crown ceremony, you go like, well, I don't know what the full thing looks like, but this sure looks pretty mm-hmm. awesome, you know? So, um, but are you practicing, Tom? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So right now I'm a, I'm a social worker. So, you know, each day I'm, I'm practicing um, on the, uh, I, I have to think I'm a, I'm on a Bodhisattva path, but you know, um, yeah. each day meditating, um, trying to stay mindful, chanting, chanting has been such a, you know, whenever I'm off my game and I'm, I'm often off my game, uh, I'll put on my shuffle, my iPod and, you know, and Christian, I'll come on there and I, you know what brings you back? I'm angry. And I'm like, oh, fuck this guy. You know, all of a sudden, Shambo, and I'll be all right. That's good, you know? <laughs> so, you know, get back into it. And then I have yeah. so David, your first album uh, comes up as well. Um, you know, that the first one we found back way back then, uh, I think it was Simplicity. Simplicity uh-huh. comes on too, and it that grounds me. So, you know, you know back yeah. to the earth and breath I come in and out of it. You know, when I get angry sometimes, the world, how it is, and the oppressed, and how much can I change? How much can I not change on this? Just go yeah. around and to struggle. And where where do you live, Tom? I live in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Where? Yeah. Uh, Rhode, Island, Rhode Island. Pawtucket. So, Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Rhode Island. So oh yeah. Uh, Pawtucket. Yeah, Rhode Island is a um, small, little small state. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for um, for checking in. It's really good to have you with us. It's been great. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Oh. Um. I think maybe we could close, KD, you know, maybe something uh, just put us to all to bed. You got anything? Just... Uh... Baba Hanuman. That'll put you to bed? No, that's, that'll, that's, that's for the morning. Oh, that could put you to bed. It's slow. Yeah. The first part is slow. Uh, let me see. We'll let Mama put you to bed. Chandika, 
namas chandikai Om namas chandikai Jayanti Mambalakali Badrakali Papalini Durga Shama Shiva Dhatri Swaha Swadha Namostute Ani Namostute
<clears throat> it just started to very gently rain. There too, yeah. There too? Well, I'm so glad we could gather like this tonight. It's very special. We're kind of doing some extra heavy lifting to be able to communicate and commune together. Um, so I'm glad everybody's making the effort. That's much very appreciated. <clears throat> Especially thank KD for joining in tonight. And uh, I miss you, KD. It's really nice to be with you this way. Thank you very much for coming. And. Um, Thanks to the staff at Samarasa for putting this together, to Susan and Lucy. Don't forget Samarasa in your uh, activity. They have lots of things going on online. Um, if you want to know what Katie's up to, you can go to krishnadas.com, samarasacenter.com. And we'll be continuing, those of us who are doing the teacher training, we start at 9 a.m. L.A. time tomorrow morning. So we'll regroup and uh, keep going. <clears throat> a broken heart keeps beating just the same. Old bluegrass tune. So, okay. And Anna, thank you for helping out with the audio too. Okay, everybody. Till soon. Nighty night. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.